0: Scripture this morning is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about grace that was to be yours and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope carefully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Welcome to
1: Regeneration. My name is Albert, and if this is your first time here, just to give you uh, an idea of how things happen here, we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Currently we're in First Peter, and I think it's actually quite timely because if you look at verse 1 of First Peter chapter 1, all those regions mentioned there, all Turkey. Imagine the uh, diversity of this group as it is a land bridge between Europe and Asia and Europe and Africa. And so back in this time with the Roman roads, all those things led through Turkey in order to get to the Roman central empire all roads led through turkey and so that's just a little bit of trivia there and also pretty important in that peter was writing this letter to an extremely diverse multicultural multi-ethnic church now before i jump into this let me just pray for us father thank you so much that you have given us your word and i ask holy spirit that you would speak to us through it this morning that you would lead us to have transformed lives not just Accumulating more biblical trivia. God, that we would walk out as changed people because you've touched us and we've encountered you. We know that you are present with us and we just ask, Lord, that it's not just something that we take lightly, that we are in the presence of Creator God in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter's letter to the first century Christians here was actually a discipleship manual for them. And every major Christian building block to shore up one's faith in Jesus can be found in this letter. Now in the last two weeks, we've looked at the first nine verses which contain some huge foundation blocks of Christianity. And I'm just going to give you these one-word descriptions for them rather than defining each word. But from the last two studies, we've gathered these types of huge, huge foundational Christian building blocks. Exiles, Trinity, Grace, Resurrection, Salvation, Trials, hope, faith, joy, in nine verses. This guy's awesome. Peter is a good writer. And in our verses today, we're going to take actually a closer look at this subject of salvation. Peter in verse 10, he kind of circles back to the subject of salvation after bringing up all of those other things in the earlier verses. He pointed out that it was well before his time that prophets proclaimed this gift of salvation from God and that they examined this declaration carefully. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully let's look at the old testament prophets for a little bit because it points to unity in our bible paul wrote in second timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of god may be complete equipped for every good work that includes the old testament which Peter refers back to the prophets who prophesied about grace. Jesus himself pointed to the Old Testament. right? You take a look at Luke chapter 24. The story about those two guys that Jesus walked with on the Emmaus Road. Jesus pointed to the Old Testament there. Let me read that story for us. Luke 24 starting in verse 13. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels, who he said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went into the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Translation. You guys need a refresher course on the Old Testament. Right There was no New Testament then, right? No New Testament yet. And Jesus told them that, you know what, you guys don't know your Bibles. If they knew what the prophets had spoken, they'd recognize what was happening after Jesus' death on the cross. They'd know this. And you look at what Jesus said in verses 26 and 27 of Luke 24. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See, the Bible is full of Old Testament prophecies which have been fulfilled in the New Testament. That's one of the evidences proving the validity of the Bible. Now, some Bible scholars believe that there are more than 300 prophetic scriptures fulfilled in the life of Jesus. One such Old Testament scripture can be found in Psalm chapter 22, verses 16 through 18. This is just one, but this is very telling, and I'll tell you why after I read the psalm. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Who is that speaking of? Now, the reason why I bring this up is because this psalm was written more than 1,000 years before Jesus was born. 1,000! This psalm was written long before crucifixion was even created. So you see how unified the Bible is, even though it was written in the span of centuries. How is it possible for the prophets to write these things? Well, really, it's because it's one author. One author who used the prophets to write about one person, Jesus. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories the spirit of christ was in the process of shaping these old testament prophets for his glory the spirit of christ was predicting foretelling of the christ to come christ in the flesh jesus god incarnate now without the spirit of christ forget it forget it these guys wouldn't have anything to share but because of the spirit of Christ, there's unity and consistency in the story about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories of Christ. Just as Jesus said in Luke 24:26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Peter reminded his readers that there is unity between what the prophets had predicted and what the apostles proclaimed. And when the prophets prophesied about these things, they really didn't understand exactly how their prophecies would be fulfilled. But when the fulfillments of the prophecies happened in the New Testament, they became really clear. Just like that psalm. It became really clear when Jesus was hanging on that cross, when they didn't break any of his bones, when they divided his garments. Really clear. Now these Old Testament prophets, these prophecies, predicted centuries before they were happening. We're not just talking about one or two of them. We're talking about hundreds of prophecies. How? How did that happen? It all happened because the Spirit of Christ worked in the lives of these Old Testament prophets. When the early Christians shared about Jesus, it was through Old Testament Scriptures. There was no New Testament. You take a look at Philip in Acts chapter 8. Starting in verse 26, this is Philip. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. If you were only left with the Old Testament, you still have the gospel. That's how Philip did it. The glory of Jesus is in the Old Testament. Actually, Jesus shows up really, really early in the Old Testament. Say, Genesis. He shows up there. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Who is that in reference to? Jesus. That's in reference to Jesus. Peter reminds us of the importance of the Old Testament. See, we need to be pupils of all of God's Word. All of it. So we have the prophets who prophesied about grace, and Peter wrote that they searched and inquired carefully in verse 10. Now, I have a story about eight years ago. We uh, brought our leadership to Mount Hermon for a retreat. And at the cabin, there was this largest puzzle I've ever seen in my life. And I don't know if any of you were there. If you were, raise your hand. You probably remember this. But eight years ago, we're at this cabin, and there's this huge 10,000-piece puzzle. 10,000. I've never seen a puzzle this huge in my life. And so there on the dining table was this 10,000-piece puzzle partially done. Not all done, just partially done. And this table's huge. It's a 12-person dining table. Okay, so it's huge. And so it's about 25% done, this puzzle. And by the time we were done on the weekend, this puzzle was like 30% done. I mean, we it's hardly made a dent. It just looked at it like, oh, we didn't do anything. Now, what does this have to do with the sermon? Nothing. I just wanted to share with you the story. No, no, no. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is kind of what happened with the prophets as they searched and inquired carefully about the grace that was to be ours. You see, earlier prophets were putting that puzzle together, right? And they weren't able to see as much as the completed puzzle as those prophets who came later who started building that puzzle. And so it's like us when we got to the cabin. Right, that there were others who came before us who built that 25%. So we kind of saw the outline. You start with the borders, right? So we see this kind of outline. And then we started putting some more pieces together, and we can get more of the picture. And so we got there, and we searched for those pieces carefully. And we inquired about things carefully, because we're like, hey, did you get this piece? Did you get this piece? And hey, look at this. This is this kind of color. Let's match these things and so we started to get this clearer picture, but I'm sure there were those after us who continued putting these pieces together as they searched and they inquired carefully so that if we went back to the cabin now, we'd find maybe a 50% <laughs> done puzzle. I mean, the thing's humongous. Anyway, we'd have a much clearer picture than when we were there eight years ago, right? So each prophecy about the grace that was to be ours became clearer and clearer. Clearer until the whole picture was seen in our Lord and Savior Jesus. The puzzle's done. Puzzle's done. All the careful searching and careful inquiry over the centuries finally came to focus with Jesus. The puzzle's done. Do you know what we have today? Do you know what this means for the youngest? follower of Jesus today. If you don't know Jesus today and you came to faith this morning, which I hope if you don't know Jesus, you do, you have more available to you today to understand all of the Old Testament prophecies than the greatest prophets who ever lived 2,000 years ago. You know more about the fulfillment of biblical prophecy than Moses, Elijah, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these huge prophets that you're like, man, those guys are awesome. Those guys are servants of God. You have the whole puzzle. You know the whole picture. They didn't have that stuff. As a Christian today, you have more knowledge, more availability to that than anybody else has 2,000 years ago. All the centuries of prophecies, careful searching, and inquiry all before you and fulfilled in Jesus. We have a revelation that they never had. What revelation did the Old Testament get? Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The revelation of the Old Testament prophets received was not something for them. It was for you. See, God had you in mind since the origin of creation. To come to this place so that all of those centuries of Old Testament prophecies would be revealed to you in Jesus. Paul wrote about the things that were written to us in 1st Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. The spirit of God's ministry in the Old Testament was to direct people to the arrival of Jesus the Messiah. What's the spirit of God's ministry today? You know, after Pentecost, what is it today? It's for the Spirit to be poured out for spiritual regeneration. I like plugging in our church name every time I can. So the Spirit's ministry is to proclaim Jesus Christ to the world. The Spirit's ministry directs people to Jesus. Whether it be the Old Testament prophets or the New Testament apostles, they all point to Jesus and the grace of salvation found in Him. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. For through Him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Now before we get on to verse 13, let's take a quick look at the latter part of verse 12 regarding angels, because I find this fascinating. Things into which angels long to look. Did you catch that? Angels. Angels long to look at these things. Think about the privilege you and I have to be followers of Jesus today, that even angels long to look at what's happening to us. The prophets of old never got to see the finished revelation while they were alive on earth. But you look at the angels. Things in which angels long to look. The angels have been, are, witnessing all this unfold. And they are awed at the wonder of salvation. From Genesis until today, they've been watching the story of grace unfold, amazed at what God is doing, at what He has done. And so, can you imagine how they marveled when Saul was knocked to the ground and Jesus spoke to him? I mean, they were eating their popcorn and they're just <laughs> like, they're, they're getting that guy, that guy that's been killing all the hate. Hey, come, come here, come here, Gabriel, Michael, look, Saul, man, they're getting him. No way! And they're like, oh my gosh! And they witnessed the full revelation of Jesus and they watched his life transform because Jesus touched Saul, poof, Paul, by the Spirit and Paul finally understood what the prophets wrote. And the angels partied like, oh man, that was so awesome. And um, that was awesome! Luke chapter 5 Verses 7 and 10. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. They were partying. The angels have seen millions, so they've had millions of parties. I can't wait. They've seen millions because they know how to party. Can you imagine if you had that much experience partying millions of times? You're awesome. They've seen millions accept the gift of grace. Millions. And this gift of salvation from Jesus, and every time it happens, there's still a wonder and amazement about God's grace. It never gets old. The gift of salvation, it it has the angels captive. It has grabbed their attention. They long to look. And Peter was pretty captivated about this as well. So much so that he dedicated this portion of his writings in his letter to write about salvation. Then Peter goes on to write how to live with this truth in mind in verses 13 through 16. Just verse 13 first. Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't a call for action for everyone. It's a call to action for those who are gods, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ for sprinkling with His blood. Back to verse 2. I didn't make it up. I got it from the Bible. Okay? So this is for those who verse 2 describes. To instruct people to live holy lives who do not have a genuine relationship with God. That's a lost cause. Don't even try that. It's not going to work. This is a call according to his great mercy. From which he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if you have truly been born again, which we talked about last week. If that phrase kind of freaks you out, listen to iTunes last week. Verses 13 and 16 are how we are to live. Now this is not a call to religion. It's a call for those to be born again to action. This is not something to be passive about. This is something that you are required to be involved in. Your participation is required. Now take a look at these actions here. Verse 13, preparing your minds for action. See, actions follow your thinking. Right your mind needs to undergo a transformation in order for your actions to follow see the input you put into your mind determines the output of your actions so what is entering your mind needs to be filtered what are you exposing your mind to what are you letting into your mind see you and I need to choose the things we will set our minds upon Romans chapter 12 Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to the practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ Have you been transformed by the renewal of your mind, renewed in the spirit of your mind? Do you think any differently than when you did before knowing Jesus? Or are you the same? Because your actions will follow what's happening in your mind. How you prepare your mind for action heavily influences what you say, what you do, how you live. In the Greek, this phrase is translated as this. Girding up the loins of your mind. Girding up the loins of your mind. I just have this picture of like these muscles, loins in my mind. And what is this? This is a metaphor. This is a metaphor derived from the practice of those in the cultures of the Orient. Right? When someone started a journey or they engaged in work, they wore these. Things that kind of impeded their movement, right? These kind of flowy clothing. It's not like pants and a shirt and stuff. It was kind of like blanket, I guess. And so what they had to do is they kind of had to bind these long flowing garments, right? And closely wrap it around their body and they fastened it with a belt. And so it's kind of all tight and snug and everything. And so this is the idea behind this metaphor is that you need to get ready. You need to get ready for stuff. It's like rolling up your sleeves, right? It's like pulling up your bootstraps. It's kind of like that stuff. But I have to admit, I like the saying, gird up your loins better. I'm going to start using that. When my kids start school in the fall and they don't do their homework, gird up your loins, girls. Gird them up. But the idea, the idea is to tighten up all of this loose thinking that you guys have on there. All this sloppy stuff, all this everything, all this tolerance, all this kind of stuff that, eh, that's okay, that doesn't matter, the Bible doesn't really mean that. Hey, man, tighten up, tighten up, get ready. Why do athletes wear what they wear? You don't see them running in the Olympics in a dress, right? I'm fast! (laughs) They're wearing all the neoprene stuff, right? They're sleek. They're all tight. They're ready. Why does the military wear what they wear? Why does law enforcement, firefighters, why do people wear what they wear to work? Because they're going to work, right? You, you don't, I was going to say, you don't show up to work in a bikini, but I guess in some jobs, that's what you wear. That's what you wear. You're beach volleyball player. That's what you wear. You're, you're not going to go out there. You wear what's appropriate for your work. For what you do, you wear what's appropriate for that. So don't let your mind get sloppy and get caught on things. Get caught on things for what's important in your work and control what you think about, what you decide to put your mind upon. See, we need to be ready for action. What are you here for? See, so you got to think about that. you got to think about your purpose. you got to think about your mission. You don't want anything to impede upon your work. You need to be ready for action so that when you're called to do it, you can do it. And God has called us to something. Make disciples. That's no different from anybody else. All of us are called to make disciples. There's no difference. You might be doing it in the marketplace while I'm doing it from the church or you might be doing it in school, but all of us are called to make disciples. So the thing is, is your mind prepared for this action? I would say that a lot of people aren't. You're wearing a dress to the Olympics. Right? Your head is somewhere else. You're daydreaming. You're preoccupied with other things. You're not ready. And here, Peter was quite direct about how to be ready with God. Prepare your mind for action. When's the last time you shared the gospel? Lived life with someone in a discipleship relationship? Overcome a sin in your life. Seriously studied the Word of God that it transformed how you lived because it transformed your mind. Now, I'm not asking these things to guilt trip you because guilt tripping does not work. I know, I had a tiger mom. It doesn't work. I ask because if you haven't had a spiritual victory in your life lately there's a high likelihood that it has to do with your mind. What about the mind? What needs to happen with your mind? 13. And being sober-minded. This means that you're self-controlled. That you're collected. It's to live with an attitude of self-discipline. To live according to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is in any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What are you thinking about? What are you putting into your mind? Does it help prepare your mind for Jesus? The way you prepare your mind is self-controlled, self-disciplined. How does an athlete win the race? How do you prepare for the job that you're going to do? It takes a lot of self-control. It takes a lot of discipline to get to where you want to get. So you need to filter what you put in. And if you input junk, that's going to be your output. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Finishing off there in verse 13. The only way you and I have a relationship with Jesus is his grace. Check this out in verse 13. And set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. This is awesome. See, God's grace wasn't just for your past, and it's not just for right now in your present, it's for your future will be brought to you see how you know much he loves you he's ready for you are you ready for action so how do we apply 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 16 moving forward here are the two practical things number 1 prepare your minds for action and here's number 2 live as obedient children verses 14 through 16 As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. See, love and obedience, those things go hand in hand. And as obedient children, we don't live according to the world, we don't follow the ways of our flesh, lust, or the ignorance of our past. We aren't controlled by things of the world anymore. You were once ignorant to the things of God. But once that has been revealed to you, no more. Don't live in that ignorance anymore. Rather, live holy. Holy in all of your conduct. Now, some people get holiness confused, right? They think that holiness is a list of good to-dos. That it's all these behaviors of living a morally pure life. It's not. What is it then? If it's not that, then what is it then? Here's the idea behind holiness. It's an attitude. It's a posture. It's not these checks of behavior. Right? To have an attitude and a posture of this apartness. Here's the thought of holiness. God is separate. Right? He's not. Created, He is creator. He's not created. He creates. But He is creator. So God is different. Because there is no other creator without someone creating Him. So He's different. He's set apart. He is holy. And rather than God staying at a distance and staying separate and staying apart, what does He do? He invites us to come to be a part of his apartness. You get it? Yeah, Clever, huh? So, he invites us to be a part of that. And that sin can't come with you. It's not allowed here. So, you move away from that and come to me. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Not that stuff, but you. You see that? not behaviors. If it was about moral behaviors, then why weren't the Pharisees holy? They'd be the holiest people around. But they weren't. See, holiness isn't so much about something we have in us, like behaviors and things like that, as much as it is something that has us. It has us. And when we have been gripped by holiness, your actions don't make you holy. But here's the thing. They can sure make you unholy. That's why your mind needs to be set for action. See, your holy actions will flow out from when you possess an attitude, a posture of apartness. Be holy, for I am holy. I'm going to be like God, but the sin's not welcome. But He's welcoming me to be a part of His apartness. So that's holiness. And when you accept God's invitation to be like Him, it's beautiful. The angels party. Let's pray. Let's pray that they have a party this morning. Father, I ask that you would soften the hearts, soften the minds of anyone here who does not have a genuine relationship with you. And if that's you this morning, would you please raise your hand? I would love to pray with you and send out invitation to angels to party. Praise God. Praise God. For those of you who raised your hands, I'd love to chat with you. I'm going to be in the front, in this front pew here, and you don't necessarily have to come up at that time because if you don't want to bring attention to yourself or anything, I understand. And at some point this morning, please find your way towards me because I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to give you a Bible. I'd love to answer any questions that you may have. I'd love to put support around you. At this time, we're going to be moving forward into worship and communion, and the communion elements are right up front here. The cracker symbolizing Jesus' body broken for you, pierced for you. That grape juice symbolizing Jesus' blood shed for you. And as you dip that cracker and dip it in the grape juice and take it, you take it in remembrance of what He did for you, that He invited you to be a part of His apartness. Amen.